You're listening to the Great Recruiter Training Podcast. Here we go. Hosted by industry expert, trainer, and motivator, Scott Love. You're listening to episode number four of the Great Recruiter Training Podcast, and my name is Scott Love. Thanks for listening. Hey, if you want to hear the previous episodes, you can go to my website, go to greatrecruitertraining.com, look under the free podcast download link, and you can get them directly. You can subscribe directly from my site, or you can go to iTunes. When you search for podcasts by author, just type my name in, and you can automatically subscribe. So that way, every other week, when I put a new podcast on and you bring up iTunes on your computer, it'll automatically download that. When you plug in your iPod, it'll automatically sync that. I listen to lots of sales and leadership podcasts and some others for hobbies that I'm interested in. So that way, anytime I'm in my car, I just plug it in my car and I turn my automobile into a university on wheels. You see, that's the thing I think that separates people that are truly successful than those that really aren't. It's how much they want to be successful, how much they want to win. I think that in some ways, you've got to be a little bit obsessive compulsive to be successful. You've got to be thinking about what you want to achieve all the time. I'm not talking about using it as an escape mechanism. I'm talking about thinking about what you want to accomplish, the same way that Tiger Woods meditates and thinks about golf all the time. You can still maintain a life of balance, but if you're not plugging information into your head that can help you get ahead, then you're not going to be successful. That's just my own opinion. So I just want to let you know that those resources are there if you're interested, and those are all free. In this podcast, we're going to talk about a couple of things. I'm going to debrief everybody on what happened at the NAPS convention. I'm going to talk about Twitter and social media, and then also networking, how you get more referrals. And then we're going to listen to an interview that I conducted with Ivan Meisner. Ivan is the founder of BNI, Business Networking International. It's a leads club. In every major city all over the world, you'll find several chapters. And this is a place where people that market to local businesses can go and exchange referrals. Now, if you own a company that markets a local niche, that's a really good place for you to go to see if you can get some business. If not, then it's probably not the best type of lead source for you, but we can still learn a lot about how to get referrals, and we're talking with Ivan later on in the podcast. So let me tell you about what happened at the NAPS convention. I think it was an incredible association event. There were over 200 people there, which I think for right now, that was really good. We had it at the Red Rock Casino, which is a fantastic casino. It's nice to be off the strip. I was on vacation for about a week, and that was fortunately right there in Las Vegas, and so I was able to attend and speak there. In my session, I talked about leadership. I did a program on how managers can get their people to produce more by using leadership. It's not necessarily measuring the metrics that motivates people to produce at a higher level. It's leadership. So I shared with them some things that they can do and some free resources that they can use immediately to see an immediate impact on how their people produce. And it was a really exciting session. All the seats in my room were filled, and I really enjoyed meeting all the folks there. There are some other great trainers and speakers there. I think, from my perspective, people got a lot of value out of the roundtables. On the very last day, a few of the trainers that spoke there were able to go from one table to another for about 10 minutes each. And we talked about what people at the table wanted to talk about, whether it was how do you cope with rejection? How do you bounce back and become resilient? How do you sell your value to your client prospects? How do you overcome objections from candidates? It was all the major issues. There's there's really nothing new that bothers people from one part of the industry to another. We all have the same hangups and the same issues. But I think that most of the time, the best value in attending a function 
is in meeting people that do what you do every day. It's not necessarily from someone like myself, the trainer or the speaker, when you come to hear it. Yeah, you'll get some insight there. But I think, and even from my own experience, most of the insights that you get are in a small group. You and about six other people that have similar issues to what you have, and you're there to try to come up with solutions. Anytime you go to a convention, you always want to encourage, if you're on the committee, if you're on the board for, let's say, a state chapter meeting, see if you can have at least an hour or two for roundtables. So that way you can really stimulate discussion on some of the pressing issues that owners, managers, and recruiters or salespeople are facing right now. So I think overall it was a great convention and I'm looking forward to attending the next one uh, next year at NAPS. Now, a lot of you all know I'm really cutting back on my speaking. I've been booked for about two or three speaking engagements next year, and that's probably going to be it for me. I'm going to do my own seminars, but I'm just really tired of the travel. So a lot of you know I'm working a desk, pursuing a new niche, and we're, main, we're getting some good traction on there. Uh, And really backing off of the speaking, most of my training is on the web, which is why I created the coaching club. So that way, for the same price of someone's cable bill, they can still get the one-on-one attention. They can still get the personalized coaching and access to the video training course that I created and, and all the other stuff, the free webinars, the archive of the webinars. All that stuff is on my website. So I pretty much have taken all of my training and I put it on the web. I think live training is a great way to learn. It's probably the most effective way to to learn, but it requires me to be away from my boy and the people that I love, so I'm really backing off of that this year. I still might do a couple of other conventions next year. If you're interested, call me, and we'll see if we can work out something that works well for both of us. But overall, I'm going to be on the road a lot less next year, putting all of my stuff online. So let's talk about networking. When people hear the word networking, the first thing they think of is social networking, which is over the web, which I think is a good way to connect with large volumes of people that want to hear what you have to say. The only problem with it is that when you're recruiting, when you're doing third-party recruiting, which is selling people on hope, selling them on opportunities, who's going to be connecting with a recruiter if they're not looking? So traditional internet marketing, because I've read several books on this. When I got into training and when the web became really a, a, a great vehicle to market training services, I, I did research. I went to seminars. I studied this, and I realized that internet marketing is based on one thing. It's based on permission. I need to have your permission to be able to sell you something, which is a good tool for people like myself that are trainers in the industry or, or any industry, really. If anybody wants to sell information products or knowledge or consulting, all those things are a great way to promote someone's brand. But let's look at what we do as third-party recruiters. Our job is to tap professionals on the shoulder, engage them in a dialogue about their career, and get them to go forward and talk with our clients. When we talk with them initially, they're not interested. Why would they be? They're happy where they are. The people that all of the clients feel are worth fees, the people that we can place, they're not looking to make a move. So just by that very nature of who our prospects are in terms of candidates, they don't want to have permission to hear from a recruiter. They're not going to link with you unless they're actively managing their career. But most people that we want, why would they want to talk with someone when they're happy where they are? So for that reason... Social networking in terms of recruiting candidates as a third-party recruiter is limited unless that's the place where your candidates hang out. So if you do IT consulting, it's probably a really good way to be able to cast a wide net so that when you have a need, you can promote that to your list and people can talk about that and share their friends and they can retweet it. And that's how it works in those types of circles. But for most of us that don't work in IT, the candidates that we want 
aren't looking to make a move. We can't market to them via permission marketing because we have to interrupt them. That's why the telephone is the best vehicle for engaging your candidates, the passive candidates, because you have to have an emotional context with the relationship. And the best way you can build an emotional context is through your voice, through you and who you are as a person. And that's not going to come across in a tweet that's only two lines long. Now, if you are going to tweet, you want to tweet about content, knowledge. How do you interview? If you're marketing to clients and you want to get new business and you think that some of your clients are listening to you via Twitter, you want to tweet leadership, management, not just hiring, but how can they become a better leader? That's what they're looking for. When you look at the manager's perspective of hiring, they're not hiring people to fill positions. They're hiring people to solve problems or build value in their organization. That's what their message is, what they want to hear. So when you tweet, you want to tweet on leadership, you want to tweet on management, and anything related to career activities. The things you don't want to do are anytime you eat a piece of cheese, you don't want to tweet that. Anytime you eat a cupcake, you don't want to tweet that. When your plane lands in Cincinnati, you don't want to tweet that. Who cares? People are going to block you, and they're not going to listen to what you have to say. One of the best examples of someone that tweets content is Alan Weiss. He's my mentor. I hired him for several years when I first got into speaking. You can go to contrarianconsulting.com to get on his blog, and you can link to him via Twitter there. And every day, he, he sends out knowledge and nuggets of knowledge that can help you as a consultant. The recession is the one thing that's on every salesperson's mind. What are the things that we can do differently to get an edge? Because an edge, no matter how slight, is still an edge, and sometimes that's all you need to win the business away from your competitors. So right now, I'm talking with someone that does give salespeople and entrepreneurs an edge, specifically in the world of networking. It's Dr. Ivan Meisner. Ivan is a consultant, a speaker, a New York Times bestselling author, and also is known for being the founder of Business Networking International, BNI. Ivan, thanks for joining me today. Great. It's a pleasure to be on. And today's topic is how do we beat the recession, what salespeople and business owners can do to expand their margins, specifically in the field of networking. Now, I know that you're an expert on networking. Uh, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? From your experience, what have you seen that salespeople and business owners are doing in terms of networking that's, that's, that's giving them a competitive advantage right now? Well, I think that the people who understand the difference between networking and direct selling definitely have a competitive uh, advantage. Uh, direct selling is basically going out there, shaking hands, and trying to close deals. Networking is more about farming than it is about hunting. It's about cultivating relationships with other business professionals. And there's a huge difference between the two, and salespeople who get that do much better. So where do they go? Where do people go to be able to expand their network? If they're living, in, let's say, in a, in a mid-sized metropolitan market, uh, who are they going to target? How are they going to get them to actually want to give them referrals? Well, if, uh, from a broader perspective, they first have to diversify their networks. They have to participate in different kinds of networking groups. I think most uh, salespeople are basically cave dwellers. They get up in the morning, they're in this large cave with a big screen TV. They go out to their garage. They get into this little cave with four wheels called their car. They drive to this other really big cave with computers called their office. They stay there all day. At the end of the day, they get back into their little cave with four wheels, drive back to their large cave with a big screen TV, and they can't figure out why no one is referring them. Networking is a contact sport. You've got to go out and get belly-to-belly -belly with people, and there are a lot of ways to do that. Uh, chambers of commerce, groups like BNI, service clubs like Rotary, Alliance, Kiwanis. 
Those are the ways to get out and meet face-to-face with people to build relationships and start the process. And that's really important. So let's just say I sell a product or a service. Let's just say I'm a marketing rep for a nursing home facility. And I need to go out there and network in the community. So I'm joining these groups. And these people might not be my target prospects, but they probably know folks that I should be talking to. Exactly uh, right. How is it that I can get them to refer me to that business? Okay. You have to go into it and understand what I call the VCP process, visibility, credibility, profitability. Mm-hmm. So you, let's say you're talking to people who may not be your clients, but they know people who would know your clients. And, and let's, let's go over those three things again you said. What was it again? Uh, VCP process, visibility, okay. credibility, profitability. Okay. And it's chronological. You have to go from visibility to credibility, from credibility to profitability. Visibility is where people know who you are and what you do. Uh Uh, Credibility is where people know who you are, what you do, and they know you're good at it. Profitability is where people know who you are, what you do, they know you're good at it, and they're willing to pass reciprocal referrals with you. Now, what tends to happen with salespeople is that they try to jump over those stages. Uh, they'll meet somebody at a Chamber of Commerce uh, mixer and they'll say, hi, my name's John. You know, we should be doing business. And they jump over visibility and credibility. They're not even at visibility, right? If, if, if the person met them two weeks from then, they wouldn't remember who they were. So they're really at a fourth stage I call invisibility. And they're trying to jump over visibility, jump over credibility, and get right to profitability. And that's never effective. And that's generally what gives networking a bad name when, when – people think of networking and they think of it negatively, they think of these people. They think of these people who are jumping over visibility and credibility trying to get right to profitability. So I think if we were talking to salespeople, we'd say it's the exact same thing. Why do you try to close the sale when you haven't even pre-qualified your prospect yet? Exactly right. So so tell me again then, let, let's say for, for the sake of example, again, I'm marketing nursing home facilities and I join a Rotary Club. And there's probably about 100 people here, let's say 75% men, 25% women, uh, 70% of them own companies, 30% of them are semi-retired. And, and that fits, I think, the profile of every Rotary Club in the, in the country, right? Well, it, certainly a lot, yeah. That's right. And so, so at least the ones I've been to when I used to live out in, uh, out in Scottsdale. So, so how is it then that I establish credibility? You know, should I set targets? Should I set goals? when I join these groups to see if I can get so many referrals from them? Or is it something I should let develop organically? Well, it depends on the group you're talking about. If you're talking about a service club like Rotary, you have to remember that the primary purpose is to contribute to the community, not to get a referral. Mm -hmm. So the process is going to be very long-term, but you're going to meet some real movers and shakers in the community, people that – there are going to be people in the organization that are – you know, members of the city council or the police chief or, I mean, I know this, I was a member of a Rotary Club for 16 years. And so it's a long-term process. On the other hand, if you're participating in chambers and groups like BNI, it's still long-term, but it's shorter. It's, it's you know, it's midterm, not, not years. It could be months to build those kinds of relationships because the context is different. Mm-hmm. You're not there to serve the community. You're there to do business, to meet people. To, to connect with them and start to build relationships that lead to business. So you're going to generate business quicker in a group like a, a chamber, potentially, or a group like BNI than you are in a service club. But I recommend you participate in all, you know, maybe one of uh, all three of those uh, because it diversifies the kinds of people that you meet. Diversity is key in networking. Networks, by nature, tend to be clumpy. That's the technical term, clumpy. <laughs> what do you mean by that exactly? Well, you know, we surround ourselves with people that are like us. They have similar contacts, maybe similar educational background, uh, similar demographics. Uh, our friends 
tend to be each other's friends. And the more diverse your network, the more likely you are to have a connector in your personal network who connects you to another clump of people, to another cluster of individuals. And so that's where, where service clubs in particular can become very handy because you're going to meet people that you just have nothing in common with. And that's counterintuitive. Salespeople are always looking for people that they have something in common with, and they think that's valuable. And, and although there's value to that, the, the diversity is more valuable because the more you have people that are different than you, don't look like you, sound like you, don't have the same educational background as you, uh, the more likely you are to find a connector who's going to link you up with people you'd never, never otherwise have a chance to connect with. So let's just say I'm having a conversation with someone that could be a connector. I know them pretty well. I know that I've established some trust and credibility, and they know exactly what I do, and they know I'm good at that. But I also know that they have a prospect that they kind of mentioned. Uh, how aggressive should I be at having them refer that business to me? What, what should be my process uh, to, to get that referral? Right. Well, it's, you have to have the relationship there. And one way to establish that relationship is to make sure to meet with these people above and beyond the normal meetings. Meet with them outside of the BNI meeting or outside of the Chamber of Commerce. Do a one-to-one. -one, get to know them. Uh, find ways. The best way to get a referral is to help people get referrals. So, again, it, it seems counterintuitive to the salespeople because they're out there looking to bag the big one every, every week. You know, they basically eat what they kill. And so they're looking to make these sales. But the truth is that if they want to get referrals, they need to have people be thinking about them. And the best way to have people think about them is to help others. So look for opportunities to help other people. That's probably the, the, the first thing that they need to do. But once they've done that and there's the relationship and you've got somebody who wants to refer you and wants to help you, you have to teach them how to refer you. And that process is really different. What I see happen in networking groups is that I see people trying to uh, close a sale in their presentation. They're explaining how to, to buy their products or services. And it's not about closing a sale. It's about training a sales force. You have to teach people how to refer you. Here's, here's a simple technique to begin with. Uh, consider what I call the language of referrals. When someone says, I can't, I need, I want, I don't know, whatever they're going to say next is a referral for someone. Because those phrases mean that they have an issue or a problem. I can't, I need, I want, I don't know. So one of the things that you can do is teach people what someone would say if they finish that sentence or finish that phrase as it relates to your business. I can't, I need, I want, or I, I don't know. And so if they, what, would it, what would they say next that would mean they need your services? Describe that to the people that you're trying to get to refer you. Then you're teaching them how to listen for the language of referrals as they apply to you. So should I, once I establish all that, and should I ask them, would it be okay if you emailed them or can you call them for me? You know, when, when I know that it's, it's right for me to get that referral, they right. understand the value, and, and there's no question about that. Uh, what, what should, should be some, so should be some verbiage, some word tracks I could use to get them to kind of pave the way for me to talk with that referral? Yeah, the way I would, uh, and you probably don't, you probably don't know who that referral is because they haven't. Generally speaking, people haven't told you. I have somebody I'm thinking about, uh, but I haven't, uh, I haven't referred you yet. And and if they are thinking that way, they're they're looking for information on how they can go back and make that referral. What happens more often than not is that they haven't, they don't tell you they're thinking about you. Uh, and and when they are ready, they'll do it. So what you want to do is to help make it easier for them to 
bring that to you, that they have a contact um, to to possibly refer. Um, and you know, the, the way to do that is to um, is to ask a question in a certain way. For example, you say, "Who do you know? Who?" Let's say there's a, several potential uh, uh, target markets that you have. A way to get them to open up and tell you the contacts they have is to say, who do you know who, and then be really specific. I'll give you a, a good example. Someone sent me a letter once uh, using my technique. She said, who do you know, and she was with Discovery Toys. She sold uh, educational toys. Who do you know who's an elementary school teacher? Who do you know wow. who does fundraising? That's real specific. It's very specific. And and here's the beauty of it, is if if someone says, who do you know who might want to buy my toys? I can't do a mental sort on that. I don't know who wants to buy your toys. But if you say, who do you know who's an elementary school teacher? Well, I can do that. Yep, you know what? I know two elementary school teachers. And so what tends to happen is that salespeople try to shotgun everything. And they'll say, well, anybody that, anybody that might want to, you know, want this product, that's my potential market. Well, that's too broad for the average person. So the way you ask it is, who do you know who? And then get laser specific. The worst thing that happens is someone says, well, I don't know an elementary school teacher, but I know a, a child care program director. And you'll say, yeah, that works fine too. But it gets, what happens is it gets them thinking about potential referral sources for you. And that's the way you ask those people who you think might have a referral for you uh, how, to, how to be looking out for you. Now, Ivan, what are, this is great stuff, by the way. What, what are some of the stories that you've heard through your group, through BNI, of salespeople that have benefited from referrals and networking in a recession, where they've actually seen an increase in their sales in spite of a, of a weak economy? Oh, I have mortgage brokers, mortgage brokers, who are having their best year ever uh, in, during this recessionary economy. And, and the reason for it is that they're basing their business on referrals. Um, we, we actually have a button in BNI that says, I absolutely refuse to participate in a recession. And the button came about because I met some guy at a chamber mixer, uh, and he was in real estate, and, and, I, and I said, so uh, having a bad year? And he said, no, actually, I'm having my best year ever. And I said, you're in real estate? And he said, yeah. I said, how could that be? And he pulled out a button and said, I refuse to participate in a recession. And that's I great. Said, I said, well, that's it? You have a button, so you're having a great year. <laughs> and he said, it has to start with that. Absolutely. I, I went to school on this guy. I mean, he really taught me a lesson that day. He said, look around the room. Everybody's complaining about how bad business it is. It doesn't do any good to complain about how bad business is because half the people you tell don't care, and the other half are glad you're worse off than they are. <laughs> so he said, you've got to focus on opportunities. And I said, well, what opportunities are there right now in real estate? He said, I'll tell you what opportunities. He said, I've been doing this for 15 years. I've got clients who uh, do investment real estate. I'm going back to them, and I'm saying, hey, real estate's on sale right now. You can get it at a deep discount. Don't be one of these guys four years from now coming to me saying, oh, I was an idiot. I should have bought that real estate when it was so low. He said, now's the time to buy. He said, I'm selling more real estate than I ever did. I'm even going to new home buyers. And I'm saying, you could not have afforded to buy a house in this community a couple of years ago, but you can today. Don't wait. Don't blink. He said, I'm selling more new homes or homes to new, new home buyers uh, than I've ever sold before because of this economy. There are always opportunities. I refuse to participate in a recession. I'm going to look for opportunities while everybody else is crying the blues about how bad business is. That's, that's great, Ivan. I really appreciate your time. You seem to be a tremendous resource for people that want to grow their businesses 
Tell me about how they can reach you and how they can access some of the resources that you have. Well, I certainly would invite your listeners to visit a BNI group. Uh, they can go to BNI.com. We have over 5,400 groups in more than 40 countries around the world. Uh, I also have a, a blog that's free, uh, networkingentrepreneur.com, networkingentrepreneur.com. Lots of material and great concepts uh, that I write about on my blog. Terrific, Ivan. I appreciate you so much. Thank you for your expertise, and uh, this is great stuff. I can't wait to visit your website. Thanks. I- Great interview. Thank you.